This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that has it on good authority that after the Game 7 triumph, the Pavelski household settled down to a nice dinner of fried calamari. It's time to do a little bit of Western Conference Final stargazing. Mark, how are you? Oh, we're in the Western Conference Finals. I'm doing great. <laughs> it's hard not to be. I know. It was a... Uh, and we talked about this in the pregame, and I just want to just do a vibe check. This is going to be one of those, like, am I crazy moments. It was a tight game, and it was a seven-game series, and I feel like I should have been a lot more concerned than I was. But we talked in the podcast immediately before about, you know, what we were looking for out of Dallas. And, man, they came out the antithesis of the Game 6 team. And I was, I was you know, there was anxiety because weird things happen in hockey and the longer a game stays tight or close, you know, you expose yourself to the weirdness. But during the run of play, like, I, I wasn't super concerned. Am I, am I insane? I mean, it was enjoyable. And you, the only nagging worry I think that you have sitting around this whole time is, is Grubauer just going to steal one? Yeah. And, and for a long time, that was in doubt. But then once you get the first one in, it's like, okay, this, uh, this team's going to do well. And, oh, let's see, if, make sure they don't turtle. And as long as they don't turtle, we're playing good hockey and we're going to win this game. And, and it kind of turned that way. And then a, a brief moment of panic right there at the end. And, uh, <laughs> hey, two, one, we'll take it. How, so, how come, how come Ottinger can't ever get a shutout? That's I mean, I'm right. Uh, so yeah. we actually do have, I, I know conclusively why Dallas didn't get a shutout last game. And it's actually my wife's fault. Um, oh. My wife, Meredith had come home from a work thing just in time. She, she was watching. I love her to death. She had the stars game on at her work event, which is fantastic. She came home in time for the third period they're up two nothing with 25 seconds left as the Dallas Stars are lining up for a faceoff. She decides it'd be funny to just, and we have this on video. She recorded on her phone. She recorded me. She thought it'd be funny to start heckling me a little bit. And she said, so they're going to win, huh? And I said, you don't say that. She said, well, they got a two goal lead. What can happen? What can happen in 25 seconds? What can happen in 25 oh, seconds? Kiss of death. <laughs> with like, like I said, this, this, she was saying that. As they lost the faceoff that turned into the the Seattle goal, so thankfully she you know reined in her powers of jinx and you know they got out of it with a win. But the reason that Dallas won two to one instead of two to nothing is it's my wife's fault. Uh, my wife is not at fault, but uh, <laughs> she she will periodically at a at a stressful moment in a game stand right in front of the TV and talk to me, and <laughs> and, and and this does frequently lead to goals against. <laughs> that's almost worse because at least I could see the train coming, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, and it's completely unintentional and it, it happens at the most stressful moments. And I just kind of go, Oh, so every, every time she walks into the room, unless she's sitting there watching with me, I always cringe a little bit. <laughs> just by reflex. Yep. Yep. Something bad's going to happen. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So, uh, but they, they got the win despite my wife's best efforts, which is good. And just kind of, you know, game seven impressions, general series impressions, 
what are what are some things that stood out to you about that win? I mean, I think just basically the stars locked it down and they they played a great game. They kept Seattle to the outside. The offense, everybody was skating well. They were skating well in both directions. It was great to see how much effort there was on the on the back check as well. Yeah. But they they were transitioning between zones. They they were putting passes on tape. It it really was almost as close to a perfect game as you could have. Yeah. And nine it, seconds away. Yeah. What is? Yeah. It, so it's a, it's nice to see that. You always wonder, it's like, why can't they do that all the time? And I mean, what you're playing game. against another team, and so the other team adjusts. But still, yeah. the, the stars, you came if out you and show somebody game. tape of game six and then show them tape of game seven, you would forgive them for being confused as to what was going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, like, why I weren't do they have, trying in game six? Yeah. I, I did do some some light nerding, uh, looking kind of reflecting on the series, Mark, and I've got a, I've got a stat for you. So seven game series. The uh, of course you're familiar, but in the the reader land, uh, familiar with the uh, the expected goals stat. Of course, looking at you know quality of chances, shots, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. They basically assign a value to everything and say, well, a shot from here is worth this much, a shot from there is worth that much, and based on that value, they're able to say, well, normally you would expect a team to score this many goals and expect a team to score that many goals, and sometimes it lines up, sometimes it, but it's generally a pretty good indicator of who played better. So seven game series. How many times, how many individual games did the Seattle Kraken, according to Natural Stat Trick, win the expected goals battle? Right. There's some shot effects that come into play here. I think it's it's still pretty tight. I think um, four. Four? Yeah. Is that your answer? That's my answer. The answer is two, my friend. Oh, my goodness. It's, and now for, for bonus points, which two games did Seattle win the expected goals battle? And I will say it was very close. Game number one, I'm, I'm, I'll give you I'll give you one hint. Game number one was 2.97 for Dallas, 2.76 for, for Seattle. So just about as close to a push as you're going to get. The rest of the way, with the exception of two games, which I'm asking you to tell me, Dallas pretty emphatically controlled that that particular hashtag fancy stat. So which two games did Seattle win the expected goal battle? I'm going to guess three and four. Three and four, he says. That is completely correct. I, I figured you'd get three because that was the seven to two Kraken win. But game four was the six to three Dallas win. And I'm a little surprised that you got that one. Well done. Well no, done. That, that, that was I, I I had a vague recollection here of looking at that and saying shot effects. And so it, it was kind of hanging out out there. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it's pretty surprising. Yeah. And, and the, the, the thing that surprised me the most about this was the series wasn't particularly close. Like I said, game one was close. I think Dallas had a 51.83 advantage. It was 79.82% of the goals expect of the expected goals in game two, then 42% in games three and four, basically identical. Then 65% in favor of Dallas in game five, 64% in the six to three loss in game six, which like you said, they played much better at the end and couldn't get anything going, hit a couple posts. And then 70% in the deciding game seven with the season on the line, Dallas generated, you know, 70% of the expected goals, 72% of the scoring chances. They out high dangered the, the crack in 15 to five. It's, it's really, it was interesting to me 
to dive in because yes, it was a close series. And and honestly, this is this is going to be a weird compliment to the Kraken because we've talked about the importance of game planning and how things change in the playoff. And I think that the closeness of the series is a testament to how well the Kraken played because my impression was Dallas kind of figured out how to handle Seattle. And it wasn't so much that Seattle was finding new and exciting and different things to throw at the stars to confuse them. It was just Seattle was maniacal and they stayed on task and they gave themselves a chance despite the ice kind of gradually tilting against them as the series went on, I thought. Yeah, I I think you're right. I also think that there's maybe a little bit to be said about who was really grinding on board battles and stuff like that. Seattle's pretty consistent on that, but... Dallas has to make a commitment to do it against a, a team that just keeps coming at you like Seattle does. Yep. And if they weren't absolutely committed to going in and winning one-on-one board battles, they were losing them and, and, and then they were chasing the game the rest of the way. And, and I think that happened a lot on the losses. Yeah, I think you're right. But it was, again, they, they did, they did the job. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you have to feel pretty good coming out of that series because you know, even though the goal totals aren't great, Jason Robertson certainly showed that he was more comfortable and, and was able to be dangerous the last couple of games. The lines, you know, we, we were rolling three good scoring lines and everybody was chipping in. Uh, the defense, uh, we, we it, it was kind of nice to watch what Pete DeBoer did with the defense because usually you kind of go with the guys that uh, that got you there and he was able to manipulate who he was playing to the situation where they needed things you know bring bringing in uh Colin Miller there at the end I thought was a brilliant move and and, and then looking forward to to Vegas I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see Joel Hanley back there as the seventh D and and we have Lindell and Hockenpah back together it wouldn't stun me, especially to start the series, because I think you're right. It was this, this, and I'm glad you talked about the defense, because yeah, I thought the the Miller thing had a significant positive impact on the series. And it was kind of low-key ballsy, right? All season, this team's defensive identity on the penalty kill, their their main defensive pairing was kind of built on the back of Lindell and Hockenpah. And there was some some talk of a lower, you know, he missed, they, they said lower body injury, which probably, you know, this time of year, he's probably banged up a little bit. And with Seattle's speed, I mean, it was it was no mistake that, that you know, Hockenpah really struggled. And it seemed like, and I, have, I haven't really done a deep dive into any of the kind of in isolation stuff, but it certainly seemed like when Hockenpah started to struggle, it pulled Lindell down with him. And bringing in Miller who was just a little bit more mobile, a little bit more variable. It seemed like making that move helped Lindell steady himself a little bit and took away, like I said, matchups, right? Matchups matter in a seven game series. Taking Hockenpah out took away one of the weak spots that Seattle seemed to have figured out and fixated on and was attacking pretty relentlessly over the course of that series. Fully 100%. And and I'd also say, I, I think Lindell took, what happened in game six very personally. And I think he came out as a, as a man on a mission. Yeah. King, King Mabel would be proud. Yeah. It's, and, and this is where you get into 
character and player's history and you you wonder if you know he he kind of inherited the the Trevor Daly slash Stefan Robida slash you know, Dallas always has a maligned defenseman and for a lot of years that maligned defenseman was Asa Lindell who who never quite Lindell seemed to have that identity as the guy that people who made decisions all caps swore that they understood why he was good even though it wasn't always entirely clear to the fans even though it's it's gotten a little bit more clear over the past you know as time has passed yeah and lindell's kind of an interesting guy because if you start taking a look at the micro stats there are there are a handful of things that he does where he's just exceptional holding holding the gap at the blue line is one thing that lindell is very good at he, he's very good at forcing play to the boards as people apl- approach the blue line so these are these are pretty important things but they don't show in the way that you know just something a simple zone exit and not getting trapped in your zone you know that's pretty apparent and and, and on the other hand i think with lindell it's hard to get over you take a look at the contract and you're saying we're paying that much for this and and you always get blamed, and that's kind of a historic stars type thing too. Probably a hockey type thing. If you're a fan and you see somebody who has a big contract and you don't think they're earning it, they're going to be somebody you're picking on. Yeah, well, especially because as us fans, I know there's there are tons of incidents and, and moments where we all turn down you know rewards for things. Saying, no, actually, I don't deserve that much. Give me a little bit less. Um, the your point, I think, is particularly well taken in the context of Hawk and Paw who if you know if struggling with a lower body injury he's not mobility is not his strength right he has his strength is his strength his length is his strength hey rhyme time but um it it's it kind of expl- it could explain why that pair struggled in particular because of the, you know the things that Lindell seems to excel at right mucking play up at the blue line pushing along the wall are things that if you don't have a partner behind you that can go fish the puck out then you know that gap in that blue line you just dump it behind it and then make your partner get it and if he can't then it limits the value and then yeah especially in in game six dallas struggled acutely to get the puck out of the zone at times and it it really came back to bite them and so it it seems like having you know lindell out with a mobility compromised partner in a series against kind of a hyper aggressive athletic attacking team was a recipe for disaster yeah, and then you know the other tactical type thing, and who I don't know if this came out of the room or not, but they utilized the high flip a lot more there in Game Seven, and it's something that that everybody really on the back end has has some skills in doing. Lindell's actually really good at it, and I, as far as I'm concerned, he and Ottinger deserved credit for assists on that. Uh, on the I was just to start I was off. just about yeah. to mention that, and even the studio crew, and, and and it wasn't the home crew, which is you know hey credit to the the gang for for having the lens up yeah even the studio crew mentioned that yeah Lindell ran the high flip and it put Alexiak in a terrible spot with Rupe Hens who we'll get to in a minute bearing down on him and it's funny because I, I watch a lot of of soccer as well because I guess I'm bougie like that but it, it reminds me of you know when when a team is is kind of playing a high press and, and trying to condense the field one of the ways that you can create space for yourself is just to put the ball behind the mess and it it to your point about the high flip, it almost felt like Dallas was doing a little bit of a version of, of you know, kind of hockey boom ball. And, and some lines wouldn't, right? Miro would carry out because Miro can do anything. But there were times when to beat the forecheck, Dallas was almost inviting the forecheck and then just throwing the puck behind the forecheck and seeing what happened. 
Yeah, and in, you know, all sorts of sports, you, know, you do the same thing as a quarterback. If you're if you're trying, you suck in the linebackers so that you can open up some space between the linebackers and the cornerbacks and safeties. So, you know, it's, it's the same concept. You you sucker them in, thinking that they're going to come get you, and then you have a counterattack. And I think, yeah, and I love, yeah, take the top off. That's a great, that's a great example as well. And I think it, it also it cascades because it, it gave them a little bit more time. Because you can't, if if a team starts executing that well, and Dallas did, then all of the sudden you have a little bit more time for the Domies and the Haskins and the Robertsons and the you know the the Sagans even of the world to get the puck out of the zone a little bit more deliberately, right? You can do both, and I think we saw as the series progressed. Dallas was never comfortable because, again, Seattle is a very good team. And it's, you know, to the point where you know exactly how they're going to play and they can still beat you with it because, again, Seattle is a very good team. But it felt like as the series went on, Dallas, very similar to Minnesota in their physicality. It just it felt like as the series went on, Dallas steadied themselves, figured out what they needed to do, executed their plan and ultimately got the wins. Yeah, I mean, what happens is that your brain creates a new normal. And so the speed becomes yep. less of an impact because your, your your brain works at that speed now. And and you know, with Minnesota's physicality, you come to expect the physicality is just it's just a, a natural part of the game. And uh, yep. yeah, so yeah, move on and then then skill or whatever it else, whatever adjustments you make, take over. Yeah, this is. I mean, and it speaks to the coaching staff. It speaks to the players themselves, the leadership. It just this is this is a very good team we are watching, and we're we're watching a very good team make adjustments over the course of a difficult postseason. And man, it's it's just a, a lot of fun. Anything else? And, and we're going to get into a little bit. We're we're getting to Vegas here after the break. I, I've got a theory and want to throw some flowers about uh, the way that this team was built. But before we move into that, anything else you want to? highlight or get off your chest about the uh, Stars Kraken? I mean, other than the fact that it, it was nice to see a series where I think there was mutual respect between the teams and there there wasn't a lot of backbiting going on. I, you know, there, there wasn't any awkward moment in the handshake line at the end. People people knew they'd been through a war and, and, and they came out the other side and they can still respect the other guy. And, and I think that's that's a nice hockey tradition and sometimes when you have the handshake line it's it's kind of going through the motions and i don't think it was here i agree yeah there didn't seem to be there there seemed to be like normal hockey nastiness and the series really benefited from that but yeah there wasn't there wasn't a, a moment where somebody was on the ground in a heap and somebody else was staring daggers and the whole the whole thing it was just a, a hardcore well-fought hockey series which is nice enjoyable yeah and the only thing that stood up for me to cover is i thought i did think the uh miro gate from i believe it was game five was very or sorry game four when he came back from having his face pulverized and you know an, an insert shocked noises here had a statistically bad game and everybody lost their collective minds for a couple of days about how how dare numbers suggest that he didn't play great and how dare it was it was a very we we had a moment, Stars fandom, and hopefully we can move past that and think that, okay, even our, our sweet, perfect baby boy Miro every now and then struggles. And, you know, the fact that he can do that and then be awesome the next night is is okay. Yeah. Stop playing in a fishbowl. Yeah. It, he's, he is allowed to be mortal. Yeah. He's not allowed to be mortal often, to be very clear. We're not going to, we're not going to tolerate that um, a lot, but... Every now and then it's okay. 
he's mortal for 30 plus minutes a night. What more could you want? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, well, it was, it was a good series. It was a well won win. Dallas was very, you know, they were, they were value for their money and, it sets up very well. We'll talk about Vegas here in just a second. We're going to take a pause to say hello to our friends at the green team. And then we'll get into the, the Western conference final because, Oh, by the way, Dallas is going to the Western conference final. You know, Mark, people get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered. And instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly. When you could just call Robert greening at greening law, Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Right? These folks definitely need to call Robert Greening and the green team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. All right, we are back. And now now is when you're rubbing your hands together, right? The preliminaries are out of the way. The The cream has risen the wheat has been separated from the chaff. And Mark, I'm cautiously optimistic. We're about to get a banger of a series between the Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights. And the thing is, this is kind of a normal hockey series. You, you don't have you don't have a team that you're up against that ha- has this kind of weird thing that they do. This is just, you know, Vegas, Vegas has a big defensive core. They have some skill back there. They have a little bit of snarl to them. Uh, they they run three lines. They have a fourth line that's kind of a hard checking line that'll brutalize you a little bit. The nice thing if you're a Stars fan at this point is you have a guy named Aiden Hill who's been carrying the load back in net. So they're they're a little thin back there. But on the other hand, you have a goaltender who's come out and and kind of demonstrated that he's ready for the moment. So uh, it, it's uh, it's on. It's it's like Donkey Kong. I would say it's it's funny. It's this isn't here. My nerd's going to come out a little bit. This, this is almost like a, it feels a little bit like the evolution of a Pokemon, right? So in, in Minnesota, you had a team that had a pretty good defense, had a, a superstar in, in Kaprizov and, and a great goaltender, but didn't have a lot of depth, didn't have a, ton, you know, compared to the rest of the playoff field, didn't have a ton of skill, played kind of that, that snarl type hockey, right? And then you get to, um, you get to Seattle and they've, they've still got the same, they're not as, as snarly, but they've, they've still got the same type of energy, right? Uh, they're, they're like a souped up Minnesota. No, they on paper didn't have the goaltending, but they sure as heck got it during the actual series. But, you know, they trade out, they, they certainly don't have the high end of, of Kaprizov, but they've got, you know, the four, two line thing cliche. We can hopefully retire. They've got a strong, so Seattle was just kind of like a souped up version of Minnesota, and now I think we're getting into a, a Vegas series where, like you said, they're not fundamentally different than either Seattle or Minnesota, right? There's no gimmicks. They're just like better versions of those teams, right? Instead of Kaprizov, they've got um, Mark Stone and Jack Eichel, who's who's kind of having his moment. Instead of four second lines, they've got, you know, the likes of Marcheseau and Riley Smith and, you know, Wild Bill Carlson. And they've got some talent there. Instead of 
you know, just that one defensive pairing with, you know, Spurgeon and Dumba, they've got, uh, they've got Theodore, they've got Petrangelo, they've got, they've got depth there. So they're going to be similar to what Dallas has faced in the previous two rounds. They're just going to be better in every phase potentially than the two teams Dallas has faced to reach this point, I think. Vegas is kind of one of these teams that's what you see is what you get. You may say snarl. I'd say they're going to be borderline dirty. They uh, they don't mind doing things that uh, push the line, if you will. And yet they still have a lot of skill. And so this is this is kind of old school hockey. And Dallas knows how to play old school hockey. They know how to how to bring a little bit of snarl and uh, and uh, push the line a little bit themselves. And I think both teams will just kind of go into it and and say, yeah, let's play regular hockey and find out who's better. I, I like that. Yeah. And it's it's funny, too, because you, you brought up the Aiden Hill factor. And in theory, Dallas should have an advantage between the pipes with Jake Ottinger and Aiden Hill. But we said the same thing about last round and and Philip Grubauer played out of his ever-loving mind, right? He, he went from being an 895 goaltender to, you know, 930 plus at times. So you want to say that this is a guy that, and even if Laurent Bossois comes back, right, this this should be a team that Dallas matches up favorably, favorably against. But that hasn't really manifested. And, and it's it's one of the storylines that kind of jumps out to me immediately is, is Dallas's goal. And we've been saying since the end of the first round that, well, Dallas is the only team left that has a legitimate number one goaltender. And do they, do they actually mark? Um, at this point, uh, I don't know. Uh, Jake Ottinger has been human and that's allowed. I think he can get hot it, it, at wait, any is, moment. Is it allowed? Are we, are we going to, are we okay with this? <laughs> I don't know that we have any choice. I mean, we can keep keep our fingers crossed and hope that we get uh, that we get Calgary Ottinger back. But the problem with Calgary Ottinger is that ultimately we lost the series. And yep. so at this point, I'd rather take a win in the series. Well, and it is also, I think, worth this is where we get into expectation management. And, and no, we may not necessarily have he, he's sitting as of today, I think he's a 903 goaltender to this point in the playoffs. And there's certainly there have been some struggles. He had a, a 778 save percentage in game six, 706 in, um, you know, and in, in I think it was game uh, game three was as he, you know, he was below 80 percent twice in the series, below 90 percent another time at the same time. Series on the line, 957 in game, you know, deciding game seven, 935 in that that kind of dominant game five, take control of the series, you know, get your get your stuff, get out of here. He, you know, similarly, he played great in the closeout game against Minnesota. So he's been uneven, but he hasn't lost twice in a row yet. And you kind of have to look at this from the perspective of if he gives you in three of the, um, you know, he he won on on you know one of the games was a eight forty nine or eight forty two save percentage the the weird game, um, the weird game three thing I think it or four thing I think it was but in the in three of the games Dallas won he was you know he was nine twenty six in game two he was nine thirty five in game five and he was nine fifty seven in game seven so while the overall you know you'd like him to do that every night. At the risk of falling into a, you know, 200 hockey men cliche, when the games are big, he certainly seems to be the guy. You, you know what you want to do? You want to make your goalies numbers look really good? You give up five high danger chances for the entire game. Yeah. 
And, yeah, and, so, and, and so if you if your defense steps up, then Jake Ottinger doesn't have to stand on his head. We just need to, need to make sure he can see the shots as they're coming in, and we need to keep him to the outside. And that was what we were successful at. And, you know, I, I, I think Ottinger, Ottinger of the goaltenders that are still out there is probably one of two who has – the capability to do that. I think I think we've seen a little bit of that with Bobrovsky here yep. where he, he's got a little bit of his mojo going. But Ottinger hasn't had his mojo, but that doesn't mean that anytime he hits the ice, he's not going to start on a streak. Yeah, I mean, it's that, I think that's exactly the point. He hasn't been lost either. And I would also argue that in, in some of the games when he's been shelled, and this is maybe a bad thing, it's been much more about the team coming apart around him Although, you know, I would say I think it was the fourth goal in game six. I thought the wrist shot, the the wrist shot was, a you know, th- was a bad look. But by Cartier, and large, Hedo has, Cartier has a weird release when he's going back against the grain. And, and I don't think there's much scouting film on him. And so hmm. I think I, I think given a, a while to work on that, he would probably pick it up. But Cartier did the same thing two or three times. And, and it was the same shot. And I, I think it just comes off the stick weird. Fair. Uh, but anyway, so my, my point being that, you know, and even DeBoer said this, and of course he will because he, he managed the use, but I would say that the reason that it this isn't a case of Ottinger got the yips, let in a bunch of bad goals, and Dallas fought their way through it. It's kind of their MO this postseason. When they show up and play, we get game seven. And when they don't show up, we get game six. Or, you know, or when, when Miro goes out, we get game three. Or, you know, the same thing happened a couple of times against the Wild, right? When when things go badly, it's because the entire team gets out of what they're supposed to be doing to see succeed. And Ottinger can't single-handedly bail them out, I think, much more than, you know, like I said, I'm, I am not worried at this stage, despite the overall numbers, I'm not worried at this stage that there's some, like, systemic flaw or, you know, they've, they've figured him out. Like I, I think this team has been uneven at times during the postseason across the lineup and it reflects in, in Ottinger's number somewhat. I kind of look at this, you know, I, I have these recollections of the run in the bubble. And the one thing that you kind of gloss over in that whole run is what happened in the, in the Western conference final, you know, the, the round three, if you will. You, know, you have this this massive this massive Colorado series beforehand. You know, Joel Kiviranta makes himself a million dollars by by throwing up a hat trick, and then there was another series after that, and Dallas yeah. just kind of went right through it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very and and to your point about goaltending, they're they're in that second series. You know, they got it. Seldom as simple as every single game for the entire series you know, the goaltender or anyone else for that matter, never struggles. Yeah. And I look at this series and I say, you know, we got to this point with, with some of our best players really not playing their best. And I don't see anything that Vegas is going to do here that causes Jason Robertson not to continue his bounce back. Well, I was going to say, let's, let's drop a fun, a fun, we'll play another one and you'll probably get Mm -hmm. this one pretty easy. Jake on or Jake on Jason Robertson, right? Well, well well-documented struggles. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of hand because he's got the two power play goals and that's the extent of his goal season, goal scoring in the postseason. How many points and where does he rank on the Dallas stars right now? He's got 12 points and he ranks third or fourth second. Oh, okay. So he's behind hands. 
Yeah, he's right behind. He's not right behind. He's he's seven points back. But yeah. it's just emphasizing your point of even a struggling Robertson, and some of those are secondary assists, and your mileage varies. But the the you know talking about perception, the idea that he's not playing well. No, he's playing. He's playing fine. He's not 106 point. You know, 40 consecutive 40 plus goal season, Jason Robertson, but. You know, he's he certainly got a lot better as that series went on, I felt. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, we, we saw this in the regular season. The cameras came running up to Jason Robertson because all of a sudden he was he was going to lead the league in scoring. And, and he, he immediately goes into a, into a two-week slump and then comes out the other side and then he's back to being Jason Robertson. Slumps happen. Right now he might be, you know, grabbing the stick a little tight and he's instead of hitting the bar and it going in, it's bouncing out and he's just missing his corners. But there's nothing that I see in his game that doesn't say against a team like like Vegas that he doesn't start picking corners. Yeah, I mean, he has, I think so far this season, he's got 37 shots and he's shooting 5.4%. And yeah. that's that's meaningful because, as you know, hockey things to the, the you know, Alex Ovechkin, right? He scores a bazillion goals, not because he picks corners every time. It's it, hockey's a volume shooting sport. You score because you shoot a lot. And, you know, Jason Robertson is shooting five, a little over five and a half percent right now for his career. He's a 15 percent shooter, including, you know, this this past season during the during the regular season, he shot 14.7 percent. Right. So this the idea here that the reason that that matters is what we're talking about and that he's not, and we we've mentioned this a couple of times. He doesn't look hurt. He's not, he is getting to the spots that he needs to get and he's generating the, the looks that he needs to get. He, he had shots in every game against Seattle, right? He, he hit bars, hit crossbars. So the idea that he is figured out, no, he's right now he's going through a pretty rough patch luck wise. And yeah, it's playoffs and he may not get the time for the sample size to work itself out, but seems like it sure could and it sure could soon yeah I, I mean you could say you know take a look at the numbers for jamie ben you know ben's numbers aren't aren't great here but i don't hear anybody saying ben's having a bad series or, or a bad playoff so far he's uh, he's doing just fine he's contributing to his line the line is being very productive and that's what you want and the points or the goals whether they they come they come yeah. if you play well as a unit and that top line is playing very good as a unit. Oh, they're, they're back to being, by the end yeah. of that series, they were back to being, they're a menace, man. I can't even, how do you game plan against that line the way that they, like, they do everything. They beat you any way you want. There's there's nothing that you can do to neutralize them except hope that they get some bad breaks. Yeah, exactly. And then then you go take a look at Ben Johnston and 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 Dodonov, and okay, they're 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 hitting on all cylinders. And well, take, take a look at Max Domi. He's yeah. got a, he's got eleven points right now, right? Like yeah. Sagan's got nine. They, this team is Dadnov has nine as well. Like this is, you know, we we after a decade plus of wondering what it would be like to have two lines that could function offensively, the team suddenly has three. Yeah, and and we're perfectly able. And and here again, talking about the similarities, we we can afford to have a fourth line that's made up of specialists, like like it looks like we're probably going to do, because that's exactly the way Vegas is going to play as well. Their fourth line is going to be a bunch of grinders who hit you. Yeah, they will. And then the thing about Vegas as well is that the, the challenge I think will be Vegas. It's not it's not the Robertson line. They're not they're not in that tier. But you know, Jack Eichel is playing as well as any. You know, any player in the postseason right now, Mark Stone has, 
you know, has the pedigree. He's one of those guys that can be simultaneously in the Selkie conversation and leading a team in points, right? So Dallas will have to contend with a high end in the Knights. Like we, I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they've they've got some of Seattle's depth and they've got some of Minnesota's high end plus. So it's not going to be a walk in the park by any stretch, right? There, this is a, a this is a squad. I mean, they, Edmonton, right? We all we all thought they were a real, you know, legitimate contender for the cup, and and Vegas handled them all right, right? McDavid and Dreisaitl. So this is not a bad team at all. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a new set of challenges, and it it there's going to be a little bit of a feeling out period, I think, because we're going to be looking at our matchups. We can roll three lines. They can roll three lines. Um, there are three defensive pairs that we're going to have to figure out where the advantages and disadvantages of having people on the ice against different other 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 groups are going to have. So I'm expecting, yeah, maybe there's a little energy in the first period as guys get into the flow of the series, but there's going to be some experimentation to see where other teams are vulnerable. And I think as well, like we're reaching a point in the playoffs, these teams are starting to get comfortable. Not, oh, yeah. you know, they they know what's up. They know, you know, they're they're starting. I think it was Henrik Lundqvist during the the studio show before tonight's Hurricanes Panthers game. Somebody, I think one, of, I think Liam asked him if he was nervous when he got to the stage, and, and Hank made the point that by this point in the postseason, you're excited. You know, the first the first round is when the jitters come out, and by the time you get to this round, you know that you're good enough that you could get farther. You've you've been through some ups and some downs, right? You've you've kind of gone through it. And so this is when, and I think even Gretzky came on and talked a little bit about it. I was like, this, they said, this is when it starts to get fun because you've got some level of comfort, some level of belief. And, you know, the, the big prize is, is starting to be close enough to, to think about. Yeah. And I think both of these teams are going to look across the, across the way and they're going to see a team that they recognize. Yeah. And so their, their thought isn't going to be, how do I shut down this particular type of thing? It's like, I need to go out there and play great hockey because if I play great hockey, we're going to win. I mean, it's funny. You mentioned it like this, this obviously there will be coaching. They, they're going to coach. They're going to look for advantages and, and edges, but this is almost one of those series where you don't really, I don't think either team is necessarily like if, if you're, you know, Bruce Cassidy, right. I'm sure you have some matchups in mind and there are some guys that you'd like to have Mark stone out on the ice against. I don't think you're married to it, right? If you wind up, you know, if, if Mark Stone winds up against the Ben line and Southern Roberts, I'm like, you're, you're probably okay with that. Same thing on Dallas's side. If you're, if you're Pete DeBoer, I think, yeah, in a perfect world, there's, there's some units you'd rather have, you know, the hints group out against versus others, but I don't think you're losing any sleep if you wind up in a situation and and it's, oh, it's the, you know, it's the Stone group and they're going, they're going straight up against the, you know, the Pavelski group. I don't think there's a single, just kind of looking down, I don't think there's a single kryptonite matchup for either team, really. I would say maybe the kryptonite out there is the, is somebody like Max Domi, who is, if he's scoring and if he's providing offense, he's, he's a humongous asset. And if he's not, and, and you can draw out his defensive liabilities. Yeah. And so it's that type of thing where where it's a wild card situation. And so you you either do well because of that wild card or or it's a fatal flaw. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the, to your point, so far this postseason, he's been able to and say that whole line, right, with getting Marchment back, although he's been banged up a little bit. But, you know, Sagan, Domi, 
marchment or whoever is with them, the the good has outweighed the bad for all of those guys. And and they've found ways to, you know, they're never going to be Yuri Letnin and his yellow skate laces aren't walking through the door anytime soon. But to your point about Domi, if he, he keeps the puck in offensive phases to the point where you don't have to be as good at defense if you're creating scoring chances. Yeah. And, and to tell you the truth, I've been really impressed with the amount of effort that Domi's yep. put into his back checking. I think both he and Sagan deserve a lot of credit for what they they've committed to the defensive end. Where they it's end up a, getting into trouble is is if they get stuck in the zone, and yeah. and especially if they get stuck in the zone if if they're paired up with uh, with with Lindell and Hockenpah. Yeah. That's that's trouble. That's trouble. Yeah, it, it's funny you you don't see it with every guy, but there's definitely a category of you know players of of kind of Domi's level in the league where you you put them on a good team. And like you said, it's not that he suddenly became an elite defensive presence, but he certainly does seem to be cognizant in his play of the opportunity that he has in Dallas versus in Chicago. Well, and the same can be true for Dodonov as well, where all all of a sudden he's he's been a tank. Yeah. and, And and. He got stuck in these situations where he was uh, he, he was a forgotten guy on a lot of teams. And, well, and now a he's forgotten not. guy on and also on teams that didn't have anything to play for. Like think you know, with with Max Domi, it wasn't he. You know he's he's got this rep as a as no defense guy. He's playing for an awful Chicago team, right? He's he's you know watching the useful players around him get traded away. What motivation does he have? And not right. even just from a like I'm lazy perspective. Because I don't think any you don't reach that level and stay there if you're lazy. But just from a like his career perspective, he's an offensive player. He has to, you know, if he suddenly stops generating points, he's not going to go into his next contract and say, "Hey, well, I was a you know I was a good defensive presence on the moribund Chicago Blackhawks, right?" He he kind of so you, I think you put certain players in situations that kind of emphasize their negatives. And sometimes you get a bounce like that where all of a sudden he's in an environment where he's got he's got a good goaltender behind him and he's got good players on his line. He's got good players on the other line. And and it's maybe a little bit easier to coax the energy and effort that gets around some of the you know defensive liabilities, because, you know, for the first time in you know how many years are we getting a look at Max Domi in a situation where the games he's playing matter? Yeah. And not to be like somebody super downer on, you know, yeah. No, exactly right. And it's kind of interesting with Domi because he had a featured role in Chicago. And so in, in some ways, he was given the opportunity to just go score. Yep. And, and I'd say Dodonov's was a worse situation because he was he was kind of backbenched. And, and his team was trying to get rid of him. <laughs> they, they yeah. just, they, twice, well, I Ve- think Vegas, Vegas tried to get rid of him uh, by sending him to a team that was on his no-trade list. So <laughs> that that has to uh, that has to be a little bit of motivation there. But but Dodonov, it, it's like he's been released from purgatory here, and, and now he's playing. He has a vital role, and and you can see it in his play. Well, in a vital role with good players, you know, I, I guarantee you that the and he played well for DeBoer in Vegas, but you know, playing with Jamie Benn and Wyatt Johnston is better than any combination he was on in Montreal. And this is actually I was gonna I was gonna mention this. I'm glad we got to it. I was, you know, thinking about Jim Nell the other day and we talk about how you build a team, right? And and you know, thinking about it, like what are the avenues a GM has to make his team better? Well, he he can he can 
draft well with the easy picks, right? Nail the home runs. Well, okay, they had the third overall pick and they they picked up Miro Haskinen and that worked out. <laughs> you know, they used a high pick, traded up to get Jake Ottinger and that worked out. Um, okay, so that that's one, right? They use their they use their high end picks to get high end players and that, that pans out. The second bit is okay, sticking with the draft, you find value late in the rounds, right? Well, Jamie Benn, famously fifth round pick, right? Esselindal as well. So they've they've turned over some value in guys that weren't first rounders. So, okay. So what else, what else can teams do? You get, you know, you make big trades, right? They, they brought in Tyler Sagan. You make, you, you get free, big splashy free agents to sign with the team, right? Joe Pavelski. Then you get, you know, mid season trades, Domi and, and Dadanoff. Then you get kind of this, the next tier down free agents in, in Marchment, right? So it's sort of like the, the GM bingo card you go down and it's not just that, that nil has done a couple of things well to get the team where they are is that he has in, over recent seasons, pretty much done everything well to get the stars to where they are right now. Well, and I think part of that, and, and this was surprising to me, they, there were numbers that they put out right when the playoffs started, and they were talking about each team and how many players they had on their playoff roster who were drafted by that team. And Dallas had the most. And, you know, you, you think about that, it's like, well, Dallas doesn't develop very well. Well, yeah, maybe they do. They, they've, that narrative is certainly shifting. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of effort there, and we've gotten some high-end talent into Dallas. So there's a lot of first-rounders who are out there playing. But and then, it's not, I will say you, to your point, though, it's, and it's not just sometimes those stats, because for that, for a while, the joke was, you know, Dallas was a, a, you know, bottom six factory and you could take any, any forward in Cedar Park could come and play in the bottom six for the stars. And, you know, but you can sometimes pad those drafted by numbers with a bunch of role players and not that those, those guys aren't important, but what makes, I think Dallas even more impressive is those homegrown guys, right? Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson. Jamie Ben, Miro Haskinen, Thomas Harley, Wyatt Johnston, right? And then you get into the tier down where it's, you know, Kiviranta and Radic Foxa and Essa Lindell and Ty Delandria and, you know, Jake Ottinger, oh, right? Jake it's, Ottinger, it's, yeah. It's you, you start thinking about back. it, it's our, all of a sudden you have half the team that's that's homegrown. And even if you don't like Foxa that much and you you, you say, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a grinder, he's still a first-round pick. There, there was a... There was a point here where there were bigger plans for him, and he's still a really good hockey player. Yeah, yeah, and, it's and the, the old the Trevor Linden have, thing, right? Like just because yeah. just because he doesn't turn into, you know, obviously even he would say like everybody in the world would rather he's you know leading the team in scoring and number one center and blah. blah. Like yeah, there's, there's there's a better version of Roddick Fox out in the multiverse, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he has been a lineup mainstay for a lot of years. And there's value there. Well, and it. How many how many other teams are out there have, that have a homegrown first round draft pick playing fourth line center and, yep. and, and is comfortable doing that? You know, it's, yep. that's a it's not necessarily the role that you 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 would hope he was in as a first rounder. And you can get into and, the contract the, a little bit, like yeah, it's not, the, the pay yeah. scale. But the the fact that we have Radic Fox as as the fourth line center puts us a leg up on pretty much any other team out there. Yep, I mean it's it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and um, it's part of what got them this far, and it's it's part of what could carry them even farther. It certainly, you know, feels like it. What are some things um, we've talked a lot about? How the stars can can succeed. One of the things that stands out to me is this is a series where special teams could really matter. 
And, you know, I'm looking at the the summary right now. And Vegas is part and part of this is because they had to play Edmonton. But Vegas is a 60 percent penalty kill right now. And I think there were 56 percent PK coming into the Edmonton series. So not a great PK team. There are 17 percent, 17 and a half percent power play. Dallas is 32 percent on the power play, 83 percent on the kill. That feels like it might be if Dallas can keep that up, might be the sort of thing upon which a series might hinge. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and and I saw them talking about the in in the in the lead up to the series here that uh, that we're gonna have to watch out for the for the penalty penalty kill. We're gonna have to watch out for the power play. I really don't buy the narrative. I, I think this is a five on five series. Um, I, I think special teams goes uh, it's in the wash. Yeah, it could go one way or another. Playing penalty kill against Edmonton just ruins stats. They're they're so much better than everybody else. Oh. Yeah, but they weren't they weren't good in the first round either. The, like I said, the only reason I the only reason I bring it up is is like I said, they were I think fifty six percent coming into the series against Edmonton, and you know it's not like Winnipeg was stellar in any any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I, it's, I, I'm just not seeing it, I, and and maybe I'll be wrong. I, th- I think if if one team does have an advantage, the Stars will have an advantage, but I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think our power play will be will be good. We'll create a lot of chances. I think they'll get a lot of chances on their end too. So I'm I'm more worried about who's going to take advantage of of things in the regular flow of play. I was going to say, what are the what are the things that you're most worried? We've talked a lot about kind of how stars can win to this point. What are what are some of the the ways that you see Vegas having success in this series? I think the way the Vegas wins this series, and really the only way that Vegas wins this series is that they they sucker Dallas into playing the the chippy game mm. that uh, and they 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 get Dallas to not try and play a skilled game but to get for tat along the way you do this dirty move I do this dirty move yeah. and and all of a sudden it's in the it's in the gutter and then anything can happen and and, and Dallas has avoided that for, we avoided that for the Minnesota series um, but this is a team that's much more highly skilled than Minnesota is, and I, I think they thrive on that kind of game. And Dallas doesn't. Yeah, it's Minnesota has to. Vegas wants to. I think Correct. is the big difference. Yeah. Um, it's it's much different when the guy that's yeah, I, I see that. I, and it's it's to me like if Jamie Ben is kind of a microcosm, right? If if he he can have he's got layers. He's an ogre when he's answering the dirty stuff with physicality and skill he's amazing and, and a force of nature when he's answering it with tit for tat like you said then it, it can hurt the team and so i think as a, as an entire team it's they're gonna have to find a way to stay balanced and to um yeah i think that's that's a really good call it for me i think the risk here is that you know unlike the previous two series where dallas didn't really have to worry about a single line or a single player you know minnesota kaprizov as good as he is, is isn't enough to turn a series all on his own. Right. And, and Seattle didn't have, you know, Vince Dunn, right. Um, not that guy. Right. So this will be the first time in the playoffs that, you know, this is a series in which you can get to the end and shake your hands, you know, shake your head and say, well, they're just, you know, with, with Petrangelo and Theodore playing as well as they played, or, you know, if if Jack Eichel is going to do that, we're just, you know, this is the first time they've played a team that has the, the possibility to, 
outskill them in a in a in a you know there there will be shifts and hopefully not a ton but there will be shifts when you know the stone line or eichel or you know Pacho, whoever is just unplayable yeah. and, and you it, know throw throw marsh or so in there yep. they, they they have ways that they they definitely have ways that can hurt you and those could be the deciding factors it was, you know, it, it reminds me of the the six three victory against Seattle when at one point, you know, Dallas was getting outshot almost two to one, but they'd scored on I think four of their five shots on goal. Right. Yeah. That is that is the sort of thing that high end skill teams can do. And ultimately you know, against Seattle, it made the difference. Is there were some moments where, you know, you're just gonna get goals out of Joe Pavelski and, and Rupe Hens and, and that that group and and sometimes the overall run of play just doesn't matter because they're going to do things. Vegas can do that too. And this will be the first time that Dallas is in a situation where you could look at a, you know, at a goal against and say, well, no, everybody was exactly where they were supposed to be doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, Eichel just did something stupid and, you know, stupid in the sense of like skill. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, it will be interesting seeing, if you know when that happens, because it's not it's not an if in my mind. You know, it's it's sort of that they've and they've responded to adversity. Part of why I have confidence is they've responded when when challenged every time this postseason, right? It's well, how are they going to respond when they miss an important player? They they won a series against Minnesota, right? How are they going to respond when you know when they get run out of the building against Seattle? Well, they won the next game, right? So it's this team has responded, but at some point they're going to have to respond to some moments where, you know, gosh, insert line here, just can't get anything going. Petrangelo's got, you know, Petrangelo's got the restrictor plates on hints and he's not, he's just not functional right now. What are they going to do? And I mean, the, the other thing that I, I suppose could be a problem is there, there's just a, that's a humongous defensive core that they have. And, and deep. they could just they they end deep and and they can clog things up and and if if Dallas isn't willing to force their way into the crease, then it'll be a long series. Yeah, having a having a unproven kind of third string goaltender doesn't matter a lot if you can't put him under pressure. Yeah, if he sees everything, he's six six. He's gonna he's gonna get in the way of everything. And that's I mean that's the the Bruce Cassidy mo right? Is he makes goaltenders better because his system is very good at limiting the the dangerous chances and it's also he you know sight lines are a big priority it's making sure making sure that the really crazy dangerous stuff gets stopped and that the goalie can see everything coming his way and those are kind of the hallmarks and it's why you see you know the Cassidy bump guys guys played better under him than they played under the first guy and then they played under the next guy and and here yep I, I'm happy I'm ready for this series to start I'm I'm less worried about this series, I think, than I was about the Seattle series, just because I, there were matchups there that I had no idea how we were going to get through them, and we did. Here, I see a way that we can beat this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of my attitude is the same is the same series as as it was against Seattle. I so again, it's just ascending. I think that, in my opinion, top to bottom, Dallas is a better team. I think the margin keeps. You know, I've said that every series, and I think the margin gets smaller every series. It's razor thin. Could they lose? Absolutely. Right. This could this could turn into one of those series where it's, you know, four close games on either side and it's a sweep. It could go seven. It could go anything in between. It's one of those like wake me up from a coma in two weeks and tell me what happened. And I probably won't be surprised no matter what the answer is. But I I like the you know, I like the way they've responded to adversity. I, I hope that they've learned their lesson about poor starts and giving games away in a seven game series. And like you said, I, at this point, I probably should be, I'm not, I'm not like not worried because Vegas is more than capable of winning the series. I'm just excited. This is going to be, I, I want this so badly to be the series in practice that it is on paper. 
because I think so far we've been treated as Stars fans to two pretty good series, honestly, and I'm, I'm looking forward to a third that's going to be even better. Yeah, and here as a Stars fan, you know, I look, you look at this and you say that that miracle in the bubble, that was a team that was overachieving, and and this is really a team that you look at and say they have the potential to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, they they are I, – I'd be disappointed if they don't make the and to some degree, I don't think I'm quite as bullish as you. Uh, I'm close. But yeah, this team isn't overachieving. This team is just achieving. This nothing nothing happening right now is, you know, you could like you said a couple points from the pocket, you could even look at this and say they are underperforming in certain aspects and still where they are. So yeah, this is it's gonna be it's gonna be a good series. It's gonna slap, as the kids say. Like it. And then still uh we, we still have all three uh all three stars organization teams alive. We need to we need to cross our fingers and uh, and get our Texas Stars into their conference final, but Idaho's already there and ready to ready to get into the Kelly Cup final. So lost a tough one last night. Yeah, thought they had that, but here here we go. It's it's been a long time since uh, there were multiple winners within the same organization that that were going this far along, and uh, it speaks highly of Jim Neal. It does. And, you know, it speaks highly of the organization and, and how things are going. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. And thank you. You know, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for your time, Mark. Your insight. I can't wait to see the puck drop tomorrow, frankly. I want it to, I want it to get going. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yep. Let's, uh, let's root for no uh, quadruple overtime game. I'm too old to, to stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning. My sleep schedule can't handle. Again, thank you for your time and your insight. KT, thanks for the hard work behind the scenes. Thanks to the green team as well for helping us do this. Do not forget to check us out on the socials. Like, download, subscribe. Do all of the things to give us the attention we so desperately crave. And make sure you're you're swinging by the new and improved Defending Big D. Great coverage there. Uh, we're also fully independent now, which is just a rad thing we're doing to get out from under the, the weight of previous ownership. So it's, it's all all about the fans, all about love of the victory green, and um, it's going to be a great series. Here's hoping for a good outcome. Western Conference Final. Western Conference Final. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.